TCU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome in to this edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. It is a Wednesday, September 20th edition of the show. We're halfway through the week. It's another game week. East Carolina hosting Gardner-Webb this weekend inside Dowdy-Ficklin Stadium. We're live on Facebook, live on YouTube, Twitter. If you've got a question, a comment, a concern, let us know. And we'll address it over the next hour. We'll be live with you till 1 o'clock Eastern time. Philip Pilkington is producing today. He's running around and uh, getting stuff done behind the scenes with the cameras for our live stream. We got Bobby Howard making his in studio debut. Welcome in studio, man. How's it feel? It's great. Yeah, appreciate you having me in. Uh, nice little setup y'all got here. Uh, appreciate y'all welcoming me. Absolutely, man. Glad to have you in. We've had you on uh, every week uh, since basically the start of the season. Uh, this week you're brought to us by Basil, so check them out. So Fire Tower Road, one of the best local restaurants in town. So uh, appreciate you coming in and. Uh, we've been on the air one minute. We already got a Facebook comment from Brad saying we need a new philosophy and offensive strategy to truly turn the season around. So uh, th- that's where we are right now. The fans are mad, and I get it. We'll talk about John Gilbert's uh, re- release to the Pirate Club members in a little bit. We got some responses from Coach Houston there as well at yesterday's press conference. Uh, but, Bobby, look, I- I've had two shows now since Saturday's 43-28 loss to App State. We've gotten my take. We've gotten several fans' take. Uh, we've gotten Joe Sampson's take. Let's hear your reaction. 0-3 start for East Carolina. Uh, not where the program wants to be. Some highlights, but also some negatives coming out of the Saturday game. So what, what, what's kind of your overall take? Frustrating. Yeah. yeah, frustrating is probably the first word that comes to mind. Uh, and I obviously get the fans' frustration, too. I don't think anybody expected 0-3. Um, I think I kind of thought best-case scenario 1-2, and two, or excuse me, 2-1 and one with probably more realistic 1-2 and two because App State is a good ball club and playing up, up there in Boone is always tough. But, yeah, frustrating. Uh, again, trying to remember also that they're young, they're inexperienced, they're trying to, to find pieces that fit, and they're, it just stinks that they're kind of working through it in the season and they don't have that Gardner-Webb game week zero to, to really uh, figure things out. How much of the angst do you feel like is the fact that ECU is not, you know, obviously if they were one and three right now, people would still be mad, but the fact you're, you're 0 and three, you don't have a win. People just like want to see some success, players, coaches, everybody, but the fact you didn't start with that game and you have faced three good teams. And I think a lot of people, like you said, kind of imagine, hey, there's a very real possibility ECU could be one and two. And there was a possibility they could be 0 and three, but I think just maybe how it's looked, but, you know, being the fact you're one of seven winless teams in college football, I think, is just driving people a little bit nuts. That and how bad the offense yeah. looked. I think that's – I mean, as fans, we want to be excited. We want to watch offensive football. The history of ECU going back to, you know, Ruffin's early years with Lincoln and having the air raid and then – you know, we had some down years with Scotty, but even the last few years offensively, I know fans have been frustrated with the play calling, but we've been a top 30 offense. So I think that's probably the biggest frustration that you add on to the fact we're playing Marshall, we're playing App, we're playing two rival teams who are also in the Sun Belt Conference. So as fans, we perceive maybe they're uh, below us a little bit uh, football-wise, and that just is not the case right now, at least where we are at this season. 
Bobby Harwood is with us, East Carolina 0-3, so he was on uh, Ruff McNeil's staff in a variety of roles during uh, Coach McNeil's time. And y'all never started the season 0-3, I believe, but y'all had some adversity. And, you know, I kind of made the title of the show, kind of win the Saturday Ignite ECU's turnaround. And we'll get into that here in a little bit. But, you know, a lot is made, I think, and, and rightfully so, like keeping the team together, keeping the, the guys together. We talked about a young team. Still kind of learning to find its way. Obviously, a pretty veteran staff. You do have some new staff members as well. But during the tough times, what do you remember about kind of how Coach McNeil or the coaching staff addressed keeping the guys together, making sure everybody kind of it blocked out the noise to an extent? Yeah, drown out the noise was one of Ruff's biggest phrases. He right. he constantly said that. I think he said that in the in the media quite a bit. Um, I remember he developed a symbol, can't wait, kind of the airplane deal right. with his arms out, and you saw players doing it. And that was kind of his way of telling the players and symbolizing to them on the field, hey, drown out everything else, focus on your job, focus on your responsibility. Um, and then as coaches, you try to be as positive as possible. You try to emphasize and highlight positive things when the negatives come that you say, hey, look, we are this play away or we are these few plays away. We're really close. If we can execute on these things, you know, we'll be in good shape. And that's what I saw watching, rewatching the game last night is, you know, it looked like, especially defensively, because we've been pretty solid, but at, at times, you know, they, it seemed like they, instead of playing cohesively as a unit, they were trying to uh, be Superman a little bit and, and get out of their role and their responsibilities and try to make the play, and they, you know, they get out of gap, and that's when you have those big run plays and things like that. I thought two of the biggest plays, I I, I don't know if I said on the show or the, the coaches show Monday, but, you know, you go up 21-10, Bobby. You got all the momentum right before the half, and you, you kick it short. They return a big return. Then you get a face mask penalty. Like, being in the stadium, App was the, the students were dead. I mean, the ECU had all the momentum, but you give them that right before half. They go score. Obviously, they get the ball. That kind of changed the feeling of the game to me. And then, and then obviously, the Josiah Hatfield drop. Right after that, Flynn throws the pick. Uh, it was a one-point game at the time, then turned into two. And, like, I know the game got away from ECU. The stats, you look at it, ECU is pretty outplayed. But, like, if you don't allow or if you make those two plays, if you don't allow them to return it, to me that changes the feeling of the game. And, you know, look, everybody's mad. ECU was leading Marshall 13-10. They were in a position to win that game in the fourth quarter. They were up on app by two scores. So it's not like the team is terrible. I just think when adversity has hit, too, they haven't responded real well uh, from those big mistakes. Oh, I agree. Um, like you said, fourth quarter, we're beating Marshall. We're in the third quarter. We're beating App State. That's the biggest takeaway I had last night watching is we're not stacking series on top of each other. When we go down and score, if we make a good play and move the ball offensively, defense is then giving up a big right. play and we're really losing that momentum so we need to build and stack series that's another thing that i didn't mention earlier that rough did is we had a um, dry race board that was on the sideline one year and we tried to stack as many series as we could and somebody one of the equipment managers would add to the tracker each each series to make sure we're hey paying attention to how we can play uh as one team, as one group, and really stacking those series back-to-back. And that's something, you know, you, you open the game with this, with the long drive, and then you immediately give up the long touchdown run. Like, you know, those type of things are backbreakers. Obviously, the special teams play right after you go up 21-10. to 10. So, yeah, complimentary football, stacking those series has been part of the reason ECU struggled and answering some of those big, big, you know, series with the, with the response series. Um, all right, so there was a letter put out by John Gilbert to Pirate Club members from the helm. 
I don't know if you've read this in its entirety, but it is available on, uh, we, we've linked to it on our site. And uh, essentially, John Gilbert saying the program, he, he addresses the fans, the Pirate Club members, uh, saying we expect high levels of performance both on and off the field. And at this time, those expectations are not being met, but he also reiterated his belief and support of Coach Houston. Uh, Coach Houston was asked about this at Tuesday's press conference, his weekly press conference. Uh, let's hear that response, Philip. if we could play it right now. None of us are pleased with the start of the season. You know, I mentioned that in my opening statement. And uh, certainly John and I are on the same page with what we expect. Um, and I don't think the, you know, the expectations are the same across the board. Uh, I understand frustrations the way we started the season. Uh, at the same time, I also understand what the players are doing, what the coaches are doing to try to make sure that uh, you know, we give the Pirates a chance to win each week. So um, I would say that uh, I am as committed as I can be. The players and coaches are as committed as they can be, and we're going to work our tails off to uh, get things going in the right direction. And uh, you know, we've got a great challenge this, this coming weekend. Um, and at the same time, uh, every week is going to present a great challenge. So, you know, the focus just has to remain in the moment, you know, being 1-0 and in the moment. All right, there's Coach Houston again in his fifth year in the program. Bobby, the, the expectations have been raised because East Carolina, under the staff, had gone to back-to-back bowl games. And I think we all expected there to potentially be a step back with some of the personnel losses, but kind of the way it's looked like we talked about earlier, I think has led to a lot of angst in the fan base. And I said too, like all this conference realignment stuff going on, like the fans, they want the best for ECU. So I think that's playing a role too. You know, you don't want to be bad at the wrong time, which ECU has a habit of doing in football, unfortunately. Um, so look, I get the frustration. What kind of, what did you make of John Gilbert's letter to pirate club members? Uh, I kind of have some different takes on it, but I want to hear your take first as, as somebody who has been in the coaching business this can be seen kind of as a kiss of death at times, but also, you know, maybe he's just trying to calm the fans down some. That's my first concern is it's not an overwhelming, like, supportive statement. Right. So if you're on staff there, I guess you are, you know, questioning it a little bit and a little worried, especially if there was no communication with Mike Houston before the statement went out. That's probably the worst if that happened. Um, I do think probably from John Gilbert's perspective, it's a way of telling the fans, hey, we hear you. We're, we're frustrated too. And I can guarantee you there is nobody more frustrated than the coaches in that office, the players in that locker room. They beat themselves up each and every week. And, and the amount of hours and time they spend up there, uh, yeah, it, it hurts them more than it hurts us as fans. I know we're fanatics. That's part of it. But um, it, it hurts them. I mean, it's their livelihood for these coaches. That's how they support their family. So I, I hope for uh, the staff's sake that it's a, a letter of just support and saying, hey, we hear you fans. We understand the frustration. Uh, but uh, it, it is concerning if you are on staff, for sure. It's one of those things, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're the AD, you're trying to, you know, keep everybody that's supporting your program, you know, encouraged uh, to as much as you can. So silence can be a, a wrong message you send, too. If, you, if everybody's up in arms and the AD, the leader of the athletic department, isn't saying anything. So it's like you do want to come out and address it to an extent, and I feel like the letter was fair. I mean, the expectations are higher. I mean, and the other thing, too, is losing to Michigan is one thing. When you lose at home to a Sunbelt team and go on the road and lose to an in-state Sunbelt team, 
it makes people mad because I'm not saying those aren't good programs. They are. Marshall's a great team this year. App State has uh, done a tremendous job. They're the better team right now. But East Carolina has more financial money, just like when ECU beats North Carolina. Their fans are mad right. because they right. have more resources. So, like, these type of games make the fans mad. Uh, John Gilbert, I think, recognizes that. He's doing his best to address it. So um, I I personally took it as more of a message, hey, fans, we hear you. And, again, he said in the, in the article, our fans and donors have every right to be concerned, and I've shared with our athletic leadership team that those concerns are an expression of your own expectations of our football program. So that's how I took it. I understand, though, if the coaches are maybe on staff a little bit worried, too, but it's just one of those things. Uh you just got to win, man. If you win, if you win the next two games, and you look at it from the standpoint of, and we'll get into what a win this Saturday could do. But if you win Saturday, I just think it takes so much pressure off the the shoulders of of everyone right now. Winning cures all. Yeah. That's that's the saying, and I agree with what you're saying too. Uh, and it's a good thing that Gilbert came out and addressed it. We've had previous regimes that have really just been silent, right. and we haven't heard anything. And you got to think from their perspective, especially in the landscape of college football. They're trying to get as much money and revenue yeah. as possible. So addressing these fans, saying you hear you hear them, a fan is probably more likely to attend on Saturday than just kind of be absent and be like, I don't care anymore, I'm done. Right. So I think that's a smart move from an athletic de- uh, department standpoint. And then, like you mentioned earlier, too, the, the landscape of college football, we're tired of being left out at ECU, and we do have such a great culture. In the sense of Dowdy Ficklin can be packed when we have, you know, some of these Power Five programs in, and just to imagine playing those schools week in and week out is exciting, and just shows what you can do for the program and really the city of Greenville having the, that's the fans and everybody come in on a weekly basis. So, not wanting to be left out of that again, uh, because people here see how great it can be, and so that's a, a big fear from a fan standpoint. It just always feels like whenever conference realignment gets serious, ECU has a down year in football. I mean, I don't know what what it is. That's just uh, maybe ECU snake bitten. I don't know. Maybe basketball saves us this year. That's true. NCAA yeah. tournament run. Here we we've already come. had multiple posts about when does basketball season start. Uh, and John, you know, he closed the letter saying it was inspiring to see the amount of purple and gold in the stands at our first two road games. And I think, again, really speaking to the fans in this letter, clearly it was a message to Pirate Club members, but. That's the thing, too. you got people spending their money, hard-earned money, to go on the road to support this team in Boone. Uh, at Michigan, these aren't cheap trips. You know, I have to travel to cover the games, and it's, you know, you're, you're talking about spending, you know, 700 to to $1,000 for a lot of these trips. So, and that's just for me, for one person. So it's like one of those things where you see the commitment from the fans, and I think uh, it's, it's one of those things you want to address because, you know, the fan support is there. All right, let's get our first break in. We'll come back. We'll talk about maybe a win this Saturday, whether it's an FCS opponent or not, could kind of ignite ECU's turnaround this season. And we'll give you a path to uh, the Pirates, you know, chances of turnaround this season. We'll talk about that on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Here there be pirates. Back to hoist the colors with Steve and I go. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? We're back. Uh, we're back here on Hoist the Colors, 94.3 The Game on this Wednesday. Bobby Harward in the studio, Philip Pilkin in producing. Um, so the title of the show today, Can a Win This Saturday Ignite ECU's Turnaround? I, I understand people are probably like, well, it's Gardner-Webb, it's an FCS team, Bobby. But you said it earlier, winning cures all. And it is a cliche, but it's the truth, too. I mean, most cliches are the truth. And 
it's one of those things with ECU trying to find an identity as a team right now, trying to get some confidence. Maybe if they go out and squeak out a 2017 win, that doesn't ignite the turnaround. But I, I think just some sort of feel-good win this Saturday would, would change a lot. Just kind of what's your take on if the Pirates play well in in all phases Saturday, how much that could really kind of change the outlook? Takes the monkey off your back, that's for sure. Um, I think everybody right now is so tensed up, playing very tense. Uh, they, they feel that pressure. And even a win against an FCS team, again, it doesn't matter who you're playing. A win is a win. So to give them that confidence of, hey, we can do it, we can make these plays, because uh, Gardner-Webb's not a bad FCS team. Yeah. I know we've said that uh, numerous times uh, throughout You know, this week. You've said it in, in, in preseason articles. They're not bad. Um, they, they, they'll win the game if you can't score points. I mean, it, exactly. They're capable of winning. Yeah. So and so I think that's the other part that gives you confidence is you know hey it, we're beating a quality opponent we're not you know we're not beating um, I was gonna say A and T but A and T came right. in and beat us so that's not a good good example but that's uh, a terrible example yeah Maybe we're not Gar- beating William and Mary like we did a few years ago right right there you go thank you thank you Phil or even Gardner Webb from 2019 uh, that was a terrible FCS team now they're they're actually pretty good. Uh, I was going to run up the score. So Gardner-Webb, App State earlier this year, they lost 45-24, but uh, they led late third quarter. Uh, it was 14-10 to at halftime, and Gardner-Webb was up 24-21 late in the third quarter and uh, then turned the ball over several times. You look at last season, Gardner-Webb under Trey Land, they lost at Coastal Carolina, a, ho- a healthy Coastal Carolina team, 31-27. That's a pretty good football team. They lost at Marshall 28-7, so a respectable show. And Marshall ended up scoring uh, two two times in the second half to pull away. And at Liberty, 21-20 to loss. They lost on a uh, late fourth-quarter score. So, th- to me, they're going to come in expecting to win. And that's kind of scary if I'm ECU because they run – I don't know if you've watched them at all, Bobby, but they run pretty much what Heupel's running at Tennessee and what he ran at UCF. Super wide splits, a lot of sideline throws, horizontal throws to open up the run game. And so, like, it's kind of a unique offense. So it may take some time to get adjusted to if you're the defense. So to me, the offense has to go score. Absolutely. And the defense has to work on open field tackling, right. especially in Absolutely. secondary. Because <laughs> you have all that space in between you. Part of that, the reason behind doing that is uh, to make you show your hand defensively right. how, how you're going to fit up in the run box. And uh, it really puts those DBs on an island. It ensures that they are able to wrap up and secure tackles. Are they able to get off blocks and make plays, too? To your point, it is an extension of the run run game, uh, but it makes you more susceptible defensively at times as well. So, uh, defensively, hopefully, I mean, that should, you would think that would play into their hands a little bit in the sense of run defense is our strength, and hopefully we can continue to uh, build upon that. I'm excited to see what we do in the secondary. Who goes out there? Who plays that field corner position? Is it Jackson? Is it Revel? Or, excuse me, keep Revel in the boundary. Right. Is it Jackson? Is it IBM? Those sort of things. So, uh, really just building on, upon that confidence, and then Offensively is really where I want to see the most uh, improvement. Right. Um, is Alex Flynn the guy? Which I think you have to go back to him this game. But can they can they sustain drives? Can they put consecutive drives together? And it's not just hey we're gonna just like App State we're gonna go and uh, drive down and score the first series of the game. But then we're not gonna really do much offensively the rest of the way. So um, you know 
how does the offense look is really what I'm going to be looking for on Wednesday. Or, excuse me, Saturday. Today is Wednesday. If they were playing tonight, that would be interesting. <laughs> Wednesday night football, Gardner-Webb, uh, ECU. Michael Jones on Facebook has a similar comment. He says, a win looking like a competent football team would be big. A win where we look like a clown show on offense again, it won't help at all. So, I think, too, like you want to feel good about yourself. Coach Houston said earlier this week, too, confidence you know, is a big part of it, but you usually get confidence from playing well. You know, If you go out there and mess around and, and barely beat Gardner-Webb and still struggle to score on offense, you're going to have that same lingering doubts. Uh, looking at Gardner-Webb through two games, they ha- or three games, excuse me, again, they played Elon, Tennessee State, and App. They are allowing 33 points per game. They are allowing 131.3 yards on the ground, just 3.5 yards per rush. They have been susceptible to the past 223.3 yards through the air per game, 6.7 yards per attempt. So teams have been able to throw the ball on them. they got a pretty good front seven, so you want to see the passing game open up a little bit. Um, we, I haven't asked you about Flynn yet. I kind of expect him to start. again. I, but I will say this. I expected Mason Garcia to start last week. And so I was told Thursday night that Flynn would be going. Uh, and Flynn confirmed after the game he was told Thursday. So anything can happen. But I do expect Flynn to start. We'll see if both play. But what did you think of Alex Flynn from his first uh, experience? It looked better. That, yeah. that That's encouraging. It looked better than it had the last two weeks. Um, you know, that there was a really bad interception. I think it was his second one. Uh, the first one was – I get why he's going there. I mean, the read, he, it looks like cover two. He just – a, he stared down the receiver. That was part of his issue throughout the game is staring down the receivers. Um, and then he just didn't put he didn't put enough oomph on it. Uh, he just kind of let it up there and uh, sit up there in the air and put some air underneath it, allowed the safety to go and make the play. But seeing that cover two look, I get why he threw that ball that he threw the first interception. Mm-hmm. Um, he looked to be more in command, which he's looked through the both both games anyways. He's looked that way. Um, but yeah, hopefully a full week of practice knowing that you're right. the starter is that is a big deal. Um I think having some confidence of hey, I'm the guy for Tuesday, Wednesday practices is a big deal. That's your main work days too. Exactly. Right? And that's where most like you said, you're getting your heavy red zone work in, you're getting your heavy situational uh third down work in, those sort of things. You're really working on your game plan, you know, those two days because your Thursday or Friday practice depending how teams work is really just a walkthrough. Hey, let's freshen everything up on the script. So to really not be told you're the starter until after that day is difficult from a mindset standpoint. I know it's easy to say you should always be ready. That's just not it's real. It's not the same. Yeah. 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 Because, I mean, even, you know, Mason probably got the one, the majority of the one reps Tuesday, Wednesday, or at least half of them, I would assume. And, uh, and two, even in pregame warmups, and this may have been by design, but Mason worked with the ones. I think they were trying to keep it. As to basically make App just wonder if if Alex Flynn was going to start or not, um, even though I got intel that App was expecting him to start two hours before kickoff, which is why I put out the article that Flynn would start. So it's just one of those things where I, I was encouraged by some aspects of, of Flynn's performance. I do think the offense runs smoother. The other thing I like, he seems calm. Like even when he made mistakes, he didn't seem to really rattle him. Um, Coach Houston did say on that first throw. The receiver didn't help him out by taking, you know, he should have taken an outside break. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, but he did say Flynn put too much air under it as well. So, you know, you get little things like that you can learn from. Uh, but it was, the you know, the other two picks that were real backbreakers as well. Um, all right, so defensively, we saw Antoine Jackson 
the freshman. I wrote an article this morning on hoistacolors.net, four-star recruit. He is not going to be Lucas Thompson because he's actually here and he's playing and he's making plays, Bobby. He is he first game, pick six, 39 snaps, finished as the highest-graded player on the team per pro football focus. I'm not saying he has arrived all the way yet, but we saw the potential. Uh, let's hear from Coach Houston first, and we'll talk about what Antoine Jackson's development uh, could potentially mean. But here's Coach Houston on Tuesday talking about Antoine getting his shot in the third game of the season. The Marshall week, he had a great week of practice, and he didn't play against Marshall. And, you know, the thing to, to, that Coach Jules went back to him is, okay, you had a great week of practice, okay, do it again. You know, let's be better this week. And he had an outstanding week of practice last week. And, you know, it, going back, I don't know, it was probably a week and a half or two weeks ago, and I, I had a conversation with him. I said, okay. I said, there will be a time where you're going to be on that field playing for us this year. You know, and when you get out there, you can't, you can't go out there like a 17-year-old freshman. You know, but the reality is he's a 17-year-old freshman. So that's, you know, you're talking on both sides of your mouth there. Um, I thought he did really, really well when he got in there. I did not think the stage was too big for him. Um, the pick six, you know, yeah, yeah, it was a, a really good defensive call, but I've seen a lot of, I've seen that call several times this year where we didn't make the play. And so I do think there's something to the fact that it wasn't, the moment wasn't too big for him and he made the play. All right, there's Coach Houston addressing Antoine Jackson. So first off, uh, it, it, it was just good to see him out there and make the most of his opportunity, Bob, because we hear so much about these big recruits. And then either they don't get their shot, they kind of flame out. But uh, early on, it's looking like he's pretty legit. He looks like a dude, which yeah. is awesome. Uh, like you said, that's the, the thing you worry about with a four-star coming to ECU. Normally, there's question marks surrounding it. And, uh, yeah, he looked like a guy. To Mike Houston's point, he did not look like a 17-year-old right. out there, a 17-year-old freshman. So uh, let's just hope his girlfriend stays at ECU <laughs> so right. he can stay here. Uh, but I, I was impressed by him. I was impressed by the way he looked. He was not intimidated. Everything with him, I mean, he looks like an athlete. He's fluid. Uh, that's the biggest thing you look for at corner two is fluidity. And he was very fluid in his hips and every all his movements. So a very encouraging start if that if that's his first game action. So Team Boneyard, we need to get an NIL deal for Antoine, and we need to get an NIL deal started for his girlfriend. Uh, and let's let's get it done now. Make uh, it happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if Antoine and, and Coach went on to talk about, you know, how do you respond to success? And he's, you know, he made the point. Look, some players his age can't handle the success, so they go the other way. Hey, I had a good game. Now I'm gonna act like I'm I'm here. I've done what I need to do. Or do you take it to the next level? So we won't know. Until this week, I assume he'll play again. I was kind of, you know, questioning. He made the pick six, and then the next series we saw a different player back on the field. I'm like, come on now, like my man just made that play. <laughs> but uh, I understand they're trying to, you know, trying to make him still earn it. But if Antoine keeps coming along, and you have that length at field, and you have Siobhan Rebel who looks pretty legit at the other boundary position, like to me that that could be could be the best cornerback tandem i've seen ecu in a long time so like how would that change the defense it would it, it would for yeah. sure i mean i i can't think of one um it allows you to play some more man coverage i think where they're going to experience the most issues defensively in the pass game is until they get a pass rusher they're right. really going to struggle because then you have to hold up for four or five seconds or you know you're having to blitz an extra hat or something like that so you know ha getting a pass rusher is really going to 
let them shine even more, but at least you have confidence in knowing you got two guys on the outside that can lock up and play man-to-man coverage that you can rely on uh, that are good athletes. Um, so th- that is important, but until they get that pass rusher, I still think there's going to be some vulnerability in the pass defense. We have uh, press conferences with the coordinators later today. I'm going to ask Blake Carroll, what does number seven Sam Danka have to do to get on the field? Because I'm not saying that he's going to be the answer, but I'm like, you got a 6'5", 220-pound edge rusher. Like, the pass rush has not been there through three weeks. Like, three weeks, how you know how far away is he from getting on the field? So, we'll see what Blake – because they've said multiple times, we've got to find a way to get him on the field. And he plays the same position as Jeremy Lewis and Jack Powers. They're seniors, so I understand it's tough to get him on the field. But uh, I will say this defense has made a lot of strides, but you look at the, the, the pro football focus grades and the eye test – in terms of winning one-on-one battles and like creating pressure with a four, even a five-man rush, if they bring one blitzer, it's just not there. And to me, that's the biggest issue with this defense right now. Yeah, it's 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 been that way for a few years now too, which right. is I think the frustrating part. Kind of similar thing with the offense is like you, you know you have some recruiting misses and some of that stuff that happens, but really just hoping they go after somebody in the portal was my hope this past year. Hopefully Danka is the guy that would be awesome if you can right. have a guy that's there to develop and and you know a homegrown body uh, to rush the passer. But um, yeah, it's just funny how those two positions. I mean they're completely different body types, different position groups on the field, but they just. They're so important to how successful the other is in the sense of right. we had always joked if we ever had the chance as GAs to, you know, recruit or be a coordinator of some sort, like defensively get dudes at corner, get dudes at pass rusher. That's it. Yeah. We emulated that in NCAA football 14. <laughs> yeah. Easier to do when you can make promises uh, that are easier right. to keep on NCAA 14 <laughs> as opposed to getting them to East Carolina. Hey, look, it's not. It's hard to go out and get a six-five dude who can rush the passer. They're ending up in the SEC, but like you got to develop them too, at a place like ECU. So uh, I do like that they've addressed it. They've addressed it in this recruiting class this year, but those guys are freshmen. You know, you can't count them to play right away. And they've addressed it in the recruiting class now, but it's like you got to find a way to get after the passer now. All right, let's get our uh, second break in. We'll come back. We'll look at college football as a whole. Maybe look around the American. Uh, We just got a question from Grant about Shane Calhoun, too, that we'll address on the other side. Uh, You're listening to Hoist the Colors. We'll be right back with Bobby on the other side. This is ECU head football coach Mike Houston, and you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. All right, we are back now on this Wednesday edition of Hoist the Colors. Bobby Harward is in studio. He has brought to us by Basils on this uh, this Wednesday, 1675 East Fire Tower Road. Check them out. Great pizza, great Italian food, great hibachi skewer salad. Always gets, uh, so check them out. Basils, one of the best local restaurants in town. All right, we're going to take a look around the American, also college football here shortly. But we got a question from Grant. By the way, Grant, it was good to see you at Firehouse uh, Subs yesterday. Uh, have you guys talked about Shane Calhoun yet is what he wants to know. Dude is a dog and doesn't drop the ball, yet hasn't seen many targets this year. What's the deal? We, You would think he would be the quarterback's golden ticket. Uh, so we did discuss Shane Calhoun yesterday with Joe, who's a former tight end. Um, I kind of made the point. Basically what you're saying, Grant, he needs to be throwing the ball more. I think he's had seven targets in three games, and he's the one guy we know can catch the ball. So, look, I'm as uh, I'm with y'all. I've been I said the preseason throw Shane Calhoun the ball. They did a little bit in the opener, 
Um, not as much the last few weeks, but I'm back on the throw Shane Calhoun the ball train. What about you, Bobby? Yeah, they need to get him the ball. Yeah. I, Grant, I love that you love Shane Calhoun. Grant's a good friend of mine, so we talk about it constantly. Um, but, yeah, they need to find ways. And that's what I'm curious, too, is is that the quarterback's just not looking his way and right. they have some stuff where maybe he's the one or two uh first or second read or kind of what's going on there it's hard to fully know because we're not in the meeting rooms we we don't know exactly what the play what play is called and, and where they're going with the football but i mean it, it doesn't make sense to me that he's been this involved in the offense uh as such a reliable weapon that he is and he's not an explosive like big play guy, but he doesn't need to be. Like this offense right now is struggling to move the ball at all, and it seems like every time they throw to him, it's like a medium game, which is is fine. Like they need more medium games. They need more second and five, not second and nine. I mean, the, just the like I know people are hung up on a run up the middle, and yeah, it's a problem when you're getting one yard. But even when they threw the ball on first down this past weekend, they weren't having any success. So. You got to get to second and medium to have a shot. That's the one of the biggest issues and most frustrating yeah. things watching them offensively. It's insane, man. I mean, yeah, they they are every second and third down are long situations, and uh, they're just not helping themselves out. I said it last week. I'd love to see them spread it out on fir- first down and throw right. a quick game. Give yourself a chance, short passes. Kind of use that as your run game right now as you're not running the football very well. And the foot running issues are a combination of the O-line just not looking very good, and then our running backs are missing some cuts. And yeah. watching that against App State, there were a few times they just missed a hole so uh, or a backside cut that was wide open. Yeah, they haven't been able to get Marlon Gunn going at all. Uh, Rajay is kind of doing his thing, but you know he's going to be more of a – he did, I will say Rajay consistently kind of made something out of nothing, but like they haven't been able to get any explosives in the run game at all. Like, I mean, I think their longest run this year is 16 yards by a running back. So it's been, uh, I guess Bond had a good run, but he even he had to like cut back across the formation. But like a traditional run just hasn't been there. Um, all right, unless you guys have any more questions on the East Carolina offense, we're going to talk about college football as a whole because I want to talk about points uh, <laughs> that are being scored elsewhere. So before we look at the, the national landscape, Bobby, which is pretty insane this week after a lackluster week three, the American also some pretty good games in the AAC. This conference, I will say, we talked about it earlier, the fact that if ECU gets a win on Saturday, you know, yeah, you're one and three, but the conference looks manageable. Like, to me, there's no great team in the league right now. Tulane, I would say, is probably the best team, uh, but they're, I don't think they're unbeatable. SMU looks good. They are a, but they're a six and a half point dog going to TCU. Uh, they played there this weekend. But before we kind of dive into these matchups, it, it still feels like the American right now. You got Rice coming up as your conference opener is manageable, and that's why I will say, yeah, it looks bleak, but I think ECU can still get some wins. That's what's so amazing about how this year started. Is as bad as we have looked, all of your goals are ahead of you in the sense of conference uh championship games you know placing well in the conference still making a bowl game you can still get the six wins i think these next few games are going to be crucial we we talked about the little run of games here we have with with rice and gardner webb if you can stack those wins it, it all comes down to you have to go one and know this right because it doesn't matter if you lose the gardner webb but nobody has really run away with the american or looked great memphis has probably looked the best utsa they struggle with navy exactly yep. and then utsa's 
potentially drops to one and three this week playing Tennessee. So how do they respond in the locker room? Uh, I mean, they're a talented team, but Harris has been dealing with injuries as well. Um, and then, like you said, Tulane, it seems to be pretty solid. They're well coached. I'm still not a believer in SMU, to be honest with you. I know they have talent, but I feel like they are overrated every single year. Right. Um, and they play a tough TCU team this weekend. Yeah. I mean, and if you can't, again, gotta, gotta be Gardner Webb to have a shot, but if you can, then that sets up a big game at Rice. If you go on the road and beat Rice, which Rice will probably be favored in that game, you know, uh, JD Daniels has looked good. But then that sets up a huge Thursday night home game with SMU. You know, you conceivably get to two and zero in conference. So like, there's still some very important football ahead. Obviously, if you lose the next two, then we'll just wrap up the show and not broadcast again the rest of the year because it's going to get that negative. But uh, there's still a path. So I think that is a uh, silver lining. All right, th- th- this week in the American, SMU is at TCU. Tulsa is at Northern Illinois. Miami is going to Temple. I don't know why, but they're going. FAU going to Illinois. FAU has looked pretty bad as well, and their quarterback just tore his ACL. Uh, UTSA, you mentioned going to Tennessee. This is a game I'm watching. This is a conference game. Rice at USF. How about South Florida holding Alabama to 17 last week, but losing 17 to three? Nick Saban's already made a quarterback change back to the Again? original guy. Yeah. So wow. ECU fans, we're not the only ones going through quarterback hardships right now. Alabama, one of the best programs in the country, is going through it too. Rice at USF in Tampa. That'll be a four o'clock kickoff on ESPNU, so we can get some scouting done there. Pirates don't play USF this year, which is is a little weird, but uh, that'll be a big game at Rice. We'll see how they handle their conference opener. Charlotte and the Fighting Biff Pogies are going to Florida. Will he be running triple option offense on Saturday? He may may need to. <laughs> Florida's a twenty eight point favorite, and uh, he was saying he was going to make some changes after the last game, and then he walked that back. So. I think Biff is. Uh, I think reality is hitting Biff. He's the Dosakis man for college football. He's the most interesting man in college. He football really right is. Now. I mean, yeah. they even had the cutoff sleeve night, and they lost by like thirty to Georgia State. So uh, <laughs> you know, whatever works. I shouldn't laugh because ECU's got to play Charlotte in a few weeks, and if they lose, we're also shutting down the show. Uh, for that, uh, Tulane hosts Nichols uh, in-state matchup there at the FCS ranks UAB. And Trent Dilfer going to Georgia. They are a 42-point dog at Georgia. And then Memphis, which is 3-0, and goes to Missouri, also 3-0. and And that is a 7.30 kickoff on ESPNU. That'll be probably one of the best games in the American. So anything stand out across the league uh, from your vantage point going into this weekend? Yeah, I want to see how Memphis does against Missouri. I'll be interested in that game, too. Former O-line coach Brandon Jones is at uh, Missouri now, formerly at Houston. So definitely be watching that one. Like you said, Rice in South Florida. How good does Rice look against a conference opponent? You know, is this going to be their first conference game in the American? Yep. Yep. So seeing how they look against an American conference, you got to think these CUSA teams that are coming in, they've been recruiting to CUSA play. Right. So seeing how they, they hold up. And South Florida, you know, as bad as their record has been and, and has been for a while, they've always recruited well. They recruit athletes there in the state of Florida. And then seeing how they respond, South Florida does, uh, playing Alabama so tightly. So uh, interested on that one as well. And in the national landscape, you've got some incredible showdowns. Florida State is going to Clemson. FSU is now ranked fourth nationally. They are a two-point favorite there. Oklahoma goes to Cincinnati in a Big 12 game, as weird as that is to say. Colorado going to Oregon. Oregon a 21-point favorite. Uh, that's going to be an interesting one to pick on a Friday show. UCLA at Utah in a matchup of ranked teams. Ole Miss at Bama in a matchup of ranked teams. 
Uh, and then Arkansas is playing LSU in a rivalry game. Oregon State and Washington State, matchup of ranked teams and two teams that are being left out. The Pac-2, a matchup of the Pac-2, yeah. How about that? Those two are ranked, and they're being left behind for Cal and Stanford. The whole Pac-12 this year honestly looks great. I mean, if you look at Colorado, Oregon, uh, Washington, it's like the conference is having its best year ever only to get – Dismantled. Yeah, it's it's truly amazing, and it shows how important having a, a commissioner of of a conference is, like right. a solid one, you know, to think ahead of the game and and make those moves before. I mean, yeah, Big Twelve's looking good right now. <laughs> it is Ohio State at Notre Dame uh, to close out the night, seven thirty on NBC. So, I mean, even Iowa, Penn State, I'm not going to watch that, but it's a matchup of ranked teams too. Just an insane slate, man. And I'm honestly kind of mad that ECU is at 6 o'clock. I wish they had a bye week this week because I, <laughs> I was joking earlier. I might call in 6 so I can watch college football all day. But uh, what game are you going to be watching? The SEC games are always fun to yeah. me. I mean, obviously. So I'll be watching Ole Miss, Alabama. It would be fun to see Lane Kiffin beat his former boss. Um, I'm interested to see how good Colorado looks against a formidable right. opponent because I know they beat TCU week one, but how good is TCU? And uh, seeing how they compete against Oregon, uh, which is, is uh, Strother actually, is he starting for Oregon? Uh, he's been banged up, okay. so I know he missed the opener. I need to check to see. I'll check on that during the break. But, um, yeah, that should be a good one, man. UCLA, Utah. I, I, it's yeah. hard for me to watch Pac-12 football, but uh, I'm excited to see. I mean, Chip Kelly's done a heck of a job there at UCLA, so excited to see that one as well. I think it's going to be interesting to see how UCLA looks in their first real game without DTR. They've right. relied on him so much over the last few years. Yeah, they've had a lot of success, but uh, you know, Utah is a good football team. Are they going to have their quarterback yet? Back yet? Do you know? I think he is. Uh, he's questionable as well. Okay. Um, looking at, but they've looked solid without him, but yeah. still not as good as they can be. Yeah, there. Utah is a four and a half point favorites uh, going into the game, and we'll see. I was trying to see if I could see any headlines here. Yeah, I don't know if he will be back or not. UCLA, by the way. Through three games, they played Coastal Carolina and North Carolina Central along with San Diego State. So, How about that? Really Playing those weird. East Coast yeah. teams. That's odd, yeah. It's I think strange. it was like 56 nothing at halftime against Central or something like yeah. that. I wonder um, what the pay- paycheck there was for NC yeah. Central to fly to L.A. Uh, along with Coastal as well. All right, so crazy. It'll be a fun uh, Friday edition of the show. We'll have Joe and Philip on to make our picks. It'll be hard to pick five games. We might have to pick more than that. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll maybe touch on the NFL, as painful as it is for me and Philip uh, and Bobby as well, because he is you, you still off the Commanders bandwagon. I, commanders? I'm, I'm I'm dragging along the Commanders. That I, I'm, I was going to ask you, have you, you recovered from? On. I'm not going to jump back on. Yeah, that, that'd be foolish. Right. But if they do change their name again to Red Tails or uh, Red Wolves, uh, it'd be hard to pass up on. Okay, that. well we'll talk about that on the other side and talk about the Panthers' struggles and the Broncos' miserable team. Uh, this is Voice of the Colors, 94 through the game. We'll be right back. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. On 94.3, the game. All right, welcome back into the show. Wednesday, September 20th edition, wrapping up here on Hoist the Colors. We are three days away from East Carolina. And Gardner Webb, and we were talking before the break. Bobby grew up a uh, Washington Redskins fan and converted to the Carolina Panthers. Philip is a Panthers fan. I'm a Denver Broncos fan. So technically speaking, we are combined. I guess 0 and 6. Although you guys will count the Panthers twice, so 0 and 4 between our two teams. Um, and uh, it's been a tough start. 
So, Bobby, you, are you making the conversion back to to Washington? <laughs> like, do you still watch the game? I still, and, and I always have. I, yeah. I, I've always followed them and read articles on them and kept right. up with them. Um, so much so, do you know Dan Snyder's son you, was on App State's football roster last year? I did not know. <laughs> wow, that. yeah. So, uh, so do you also hate App State? I don't. He's not on the roster this <laughs> okay. year. But, um, yeah, I still f- keep track of the right. now commanders, and I've always followed them. It's one of those I loved them so much and was so obsessed with them, it's it's hard to give them up. I think Dan Snyder just really poisoned it for me right. um, in the combination of also not being able to watch them on TV. And now that I have found a way of watching on a fire stick, which is really right. uh, cost efficient, that's been nice. And um, so, yeah, I, I still follow him. I watched the game. I was going to ask you today if you've uh, fully recovered from Sunday. No, no, I haven't. That right. was. And not only did they lose, they they blew the lead, and then to complete a hell mary, and to get that close again, and then have a terrible two point play, but not get the pass interference call, which was blatant. Uh, just super frustrated, man. But I don't know. Uh, I'm worn enough by the Broncos. We have no future. We're tied into Russell Wilson and Sean Payton now, and at least y'all have a young quarterback in in Bryce Young. So uh, yeah, I saw some graph that's circling yeah. around X right now, talking about X. <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> talking about how he has the least amount of receivers open, but when he does have them open, he's the most accurate quarterback like looking at a graph he's right. like in the top left quadrant. he's the best quarterback yeah. in the league <laughs> yeah. philip so. do you think uh are you, are you still confident i know we talked about this a little bit yesterday but i want to get your take as well we're talking panther fans like i don't know are you even like measuring with wins now or is it all about the eye test no it's all about the eye test look would you want to win the division go eight nine make the playoffs yeah but it looks like the bucks are probably going to win more games than that so it's all about the eye test it's about wanting to look better each week and look you know he's making some mistakes but i think a lot of the mistakes he's making is there's so much going on pre-snap and he's been getting all that right and then when the ball snaps he goes to the right read, but he forgets to look off the safety or the corner. And that was something he did in college, but he didn't have to change the protection, can the first play, run check with me's and all those things in college. He's doing all that now, and I think he's doing it pretty well. But again, then he's just trying to remember what play he called. And, you know, that's what a lot of his mistakes are. Because, like you said, when they're open, he's hitting them. And that's all you can ask for right now. He's only played eight quarters. I, I go ahead. I was going to ask Philip, who's easier to watch right now offensively, the Panthers or the Pirates? Um, they have a lot of the same mistakes where O-line's struggling, no separation from the receivers, but the Panthers are easier to watch because the Panthers are not in a win-now situation. You're like the Pirates, if they don't make a bowl game, it's a rough season. The Panthers, if they win six, they win seven games, hey, cool. The, our goal is to win a Super Bowl in the Bryce Young era, and that's not going to happen year one. You just want to see progression. Our goal in the East Carolina right now is to win six, seven, eight, nine games. That's uh, looking less and less likely. Got to win six of nine to get there. Uh, time's running out. Hopefully they get it done this weekend. All right, Bobby, appreciate you coming to the studio, man. It's been great to have you on every Wednesday, and uh, we'll uh, welcome you back next Wednesday, hopefully after a pirate win. Hopefully, and hopefully we see gold helmets on Saturday. That's what I'm looking forward to most. That is the buzz I have heard, although I think the 0-3 start may put a damper on the a gold helmet. We'll see what they decide. I know they have them. We'll see if they break them out. For the gold out. If not now, when? Uh, but appreciate Bobby. We'll have Mark Yellock, a former colleague of Bobby, uh, on the Rough Manil staff. He'll be in studio 
tomorrow as we uh, continue to break down Gardner Webb. You've been listening to Hoist the Colors. We'll see you at 12 noon on Thursday. With your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 the game.